Say, will you pray with us? Will you pray with us? <laughs> Please join us in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, our mother and father, we come to you as children. Be with us this day as we explore your word. Help us learn to see one another with new eyes, hear one another with new hearts, and treat one another in a new way. Amen. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The word of God for the people of God. So fearless parenting, the importance to be weird. That's kind of my favorite. I think it might be my favorite sermon title ever. Be weird, right? Be weird. Um, I, so, so weird isn't something that um, is rare in our world. I was recently reading about the, uh, what I thought was the Nobel Awards. Maybe you're familiar with the Nobels, right? Um, these are um, awards that you can receive uh, in science, chemistry, literature, right? Economics. Um, it's a wonderful recognition. But did you know um, that uh, recently um, at Harvard University, the 25th ignoble reward, uh, awards were held at Harvard University, the 25th annual Ig Nobel Awards. These are um, awards for unfathomable research, research that no one actually thought would ever be done. For example, one of the winners in 2012 was a man who allowed himself to be stung 2,000 times by a honeybee to rate um, how painful honeybee stings were depending upon what part of the body, right? Whether it was the hand or the back or the calf, right? He, he has um, uh, he, he has, um, established the three most painful places to get stung, um, but I'm not going to talk about them because um, no good can come from that. <laughs> There's also an ignoble award uh, for uh, the person who, let me find the second one. Um, actually, so I'd rather tell you what you get as an award for being a ignoble award. Um, your award is handed to you at the ceremony, ceremony by a real Nobel Prize winner. That's pretty cool, all right? You get a plaque that tells you that you're an ignoble award winner and each winner receives a cash award. The cash award is a $10 trillion bill uh, from the Zimbabwean government. It's actually worth like about $5 American, right? Uh, but it's suitable for framing, and it reminds you that you did research that no one could fathom why somebody would do that research. There's another gentleman who got the um, award for literature. Uh, he established that across 90% um, of the languages spoken on the earth, that the word H-U-H, -H, huh, was actually used in most languages to establish uh, comprehension. As in, you didn't hear what I just said, huh? 
That, that's, that's an ignoble award winner, right? Can we um, agree that there's some uh, humor and some weirdness in the idea? I mean, I've always imagined that uh, I wanted people around me to win the Nobel Prize, um, but imagine how important it is to pronunciate your prayers just right. You'd hate to say the Nobel Prize, and then, you know, well, yay, honey. I'm so glad you have that $10 trillion bill from the Zimbabwe government. As we look at scripture today, um, Matthew, uh, the scripture passage today at Matthew, um, it is that don't worry passage, right? We're very familiar with the language of don't worry. Um, it, it, we are reminded from Sunday school, from the flannel board, from youth group, from adult Sunday school classes, that we should not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow takes care of itself. That if God clothes the lilies of the field with beautiful clothes, why won't God take care of us? And if God f um, feeds the birds of the air, why won't God feed us. Now that worry message is nice, but I really think there's some deeper worry that we have as grandparents and parents. I think we worry. We worry that the, the world that our children will inherit, um, moral, philosophical, and theologically, will be so different from the world that we, were growing, that we grew up in that they won't be equipped it's not about clothes and food and a place to live. We're pretty sure they'll have that. We're good middle-class folk. We know that uh, we're going to send them to college. They're going to get some wonderful degree. They're going to find a job. It's going to be okay. But will their souls be okay? Do we worry about that? You know, in so many ways, I remember um, how much different my grandparents' upbringing compared to my upbringing was. I remember uh, looking uh, for something, it was like a bar of soap or something, in my grandmother's bathroom when we were staying for Christmas, and I opened up the cabinets, and inside she had, um, you know, you know what's left after you've used the bar of soap? That little slither, right? Most of us probably throw it away. Right, or, or I don't know, maybe if you're creative, you make soap carvings out of it, I don't know, right? But she would take every one and put it together in a Ziploc bag. And she had stacks and stacks and stacks of them. And I, and I, I was the person who asked, right? Grandmother, why? And she says, Peter, I lived through the Great Depression. I learned to keep everything and use it as much as it needs to be used. She says, I haven't had to, but what if things get difficult? I could melt that soap down and make a whole new bar, right? The world my grandmother grew up in is not the world that I grew up in. Uh, the world um, uh, um, theologically and spiritually and morally that my grandmother grew up in. She grew up in, uh, you know, from the 30s to the 50s. Um, it was the, you know, very much a high time for Christianity, right? As we went into the 60s, there was the Cultural Revolution, but she lived in South Alabama, in Jasper, Alabama, where I don't think the Cultural Revolution hit there until maybe last year, right? right? I mean, <laughs> You know, the things that you did on Sunday is you went to church. And the things that you didn't do on Sunday was mow your yard or go shopping or, or, or. You know, the blue laws weren't just a nice historical reflection. They were the place in which my grandparents lived. And so the things that equipped them to be Christians maybe weren't really helpful to equip my parents with. And what my parents were in the midst of may not have equipped me very well 
in terms to be a Christian. And now as I look into a new world for my daughter, what will I do to help her? I don't think we worry about clothes or food or shelter for our children. I think we worry that the world that they live in, will they be able to remember the language of their faith in the midst of a world that's always changing? Right, uh, 50s and 60s, uh, into the 70s and 80s, you had the loss of Constantinianism, right? Strange kind of academic word, right? Um, the emperor Constantine, um, uh, Roman emperor, um, he, uh, about 1080 or so, Kate's gonna correct me in between the services. Um, he was, uh, was baptized on his deathbed, that his mother had been a Christian and he decided to bring Christianity out of the shadows and make it the religion of the empire. And as it became the religion of the empire, this idea of house churches and uh, living in the shadows and being afraid of martyrdom and persecution, well, if the emperor likes your religion, guess what, you're okay. Now everybody wants to be part of that religion. Everybody wants to, because if you want to get an appointment to a high political office, you needed to go to church with the emperor. Constantinianism lasted all throughout history where Christianity was the, the, the name of the game. It was the uh, lingua franca. It was the, um, the capital that one exchanged in terms of political and relational issues all the way up until, I don't know, 70s, 80s, maybe 2001, maybe 2014. I mean, these days it's not a, a standard uh, assumption that everyone has a faith language. When we look at another scripture passage, uh, 2 Kings uh, chapters 18 and 19, I encourage you to read those. It's the story of the Assyrian army who has shown up uh, around Jerusalem uh, that Hezekiah um, has come up onto the wall, right? In those days, if you were uh, a city that was going to retain your identity, you built a wall around your city. And so the wall of Jerusalem is where Hezekiah is standing. This is not unlike how uh, cities will incorporate all the way around themselves to preserve other areas from incorporating with them, right? If you drive along the Blue Water Highway towards Galveston, you're going to run across about that much of Freeport. <laughs> really? <laughs> right? You can think of it as the wall of Freeport, right? Um, for uh, Hezekiah, as he stands on top of the wall, taunting the Israelites, uh, the people of Jerusalem, as he um, um, hurls slurs at Yahweh their God, for surely if your God was powerful, I wouldn't be about to conquer your city standing on top of your wall. Now all of this language on top of the wall, Hezekiah spoke Aramaic, it was the language of the day. Uh, Aramaic was uh, also the, the language we believe that uh, Jesus spoke uh, as well in the public square. Um, it is the language of the empire, the language of the pagans. It is the language of others. And so the Israelites began to have a conversation uh, inside Jerusalem. And they began to have that conversation, not in Aramaic, but in Hebrew. You see, Hezekiah didn't know Hebrew. The, the people of the Assyrians did not know uh, the language of the Israelites, which was Hebrew. And so they began to, uh, to grieve. They began to pray. They began to talk about all the things that God had done in their generation and in the generation of their forebears. And all of this was unknown to Hezekiah 
who only spoke Aramaic. And as they began to, to talk as a city, they began to figure out where God was calling them to be. It was, uh, it's often referred to these days in terms of um, um, evangelism and cultural studies in church. It is the language on the wall and the language behind the wall, right? The language on the wall is the, 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 the conversation that you have with culture. Uh, the language behind the wall it's the language of the home. It's the language of faith. It's the language of describing how we are different from those who are on the other side of the wall. I grew up in a language behind the wall, but oftentimes for me, the language behind the wall, it felt like we were stuck in a Christian ghetto. Can I say that? I mean, we listened to Christian music. We watched Christian movies. We uh, read Christian books, right? I mean, we were all in with the Christian language, but when I went to tell friends about it at school, I didn't know the language I was saying. They're like, you, you, you do what? He went where? Shine, Jesus shines, a good song? What? Right? You, you see, we, we learned the language of how to speak to Christians. We learned uh, how to talk about God, but we didn't know how to talk about it in such a way that the people that were on the wall or beyond the wall would ever get an idea of what was going on inside our homes. We just looked weird. I think that's often how churches look these days. We have a clear language and it's only intelligible to us. I, we went to go see a movie um, this last weekend, and we could have seen War Room, we could have seen 90 Minutes in Heaven, or a whole lot of other things. I made the joke to Amy that 90 Minutes in Heaven did not mean what we thought, I mean, there was a different context for that language when we were, okay, you're not gonna laugh at that. <laughs> right, like things mean different things depending upon where you are. And so uh, the church has done a great job in the face of a culture that is no longer finding it uh, as the darling of the church to go ahead and separate from us. And if we don't learn how to be bilingual, if we don't learn how to understand what's happening on the wall so that we can train our children behind the wall, we're at a loss, Right? They say that 40 to 50% of good, um, uh, faithful, uh, vital youth in high school, that when they go to college, they will lose their faith by the time they become adults. 40 to 50%. This is that national study for youth and religion that we've been talking a lot about lately. That if you do the four basic traits, if you work for behind the wall, for your kids to have a call beyond themselves, for them to be fluent in the faith, especially the faith that we find, and uh, the, the hope that we find in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we are a high expectation church, not just showing up on Sunday and heading home on our own, uh, and if we are the kind of people who can spot God active in our world, those are the four basic traits that tend to reverse the 40 to 50% dropout rate in church so that our children might find vital faith in adulthood. Do, do you see the importance of having a, a language uh, behind the wall, but not so behind the wall that we just go ahead and create a whole big wall around our neighborhood and never be able to communicate outside. But you also see the failure of having no language behind the wall so that we allow our children to run free on top of the wall, learning the language that is not ours, but the language of the culture. 
I find um, some practical help in the reality that being weird is okay, right? At our house, uh, we read Harry Potter, we like Star Wars, we don't mind Percy Jackson, we get it, it's okay. But if you go to people who are inside the Christian ghetto, they go, what? You let your child read about wizards and magic and demons, and I go, wait. And if you let the kids talk, they understand resurrection of Jesus Christ in a powerful way because Harry Potter is a, uh, a resurrection figure, right? He self-sacrifices in the midst of the story. How would we know unless we're willing to learn that language on the wall so that we can talk about it behind the wall? We're okay with Percy Jackson, even though it is drenched in Greek mythology. Uh, you know, inside the Christian ghetto, there is no God but uh, but Jesus. But it's okay to kind of talk about these literature myths and to kind of see how they play out in modern transformations. You see, we're not going to ban the language inside the wall because it's valuable on the wall, right? Being bilingual is a powerful thing. Being able to be weird. You see, we don't, we don't worry about food, clothing, and shelter. We're pretty sure that in America, we're in the top 10% of wealth uh, in the world. It, it ain't our problem figuring out where our next meal is gonna come from. But our big problem is, is how do we structure that wall? How do we have the conversations around it? How do we find a way to converse on top of the wall? You know, I think uh, being weird is an attribute that the church needs to embrace. Um, regardless of how you feel about the Supreme Court's decision around same-sex marriage, I believe that the culture is going to continue to move further and further away from a biblical center. I mean, think about the Apostles' Creed. We confess a resurrected body, right? We confess that when we go to heaven, that we will have a real body, a renewed body in heaven. Okay, but the uh, wearable uh, gadget market is headed to a place that before long will have wet links into our computers, into our brains. Is it okay to join our bodies with a machine, or is that violating the idea of the created order? Or what if, you know, um, keeping people alive is just really frustrating. Why don't we load everybody into a computer and we cannot have to worry about poverty or hunger or difficulties ever again because we will be in cyberspace and we can continue the work that we do together. Is it okay with the Apostles' Creed to just cast off the body, especially if God created it? Or, or maybe uh, go different direction, not all technology, but maybe all genes, right? Um, I, I remember when uh, we were uh, uh, working hard to have grace, uh, there was a whole conversation because I had a genetic disorder. Um, the the um, MD Anderson said that we would gladly survey all the embryos that were possible for you and we'll select uh, the one who doesn't have the genetic disorder so that you'll have a child that's not complicated with the complications that you have. Is that okay? Might be. What if it moves to, hey, you know, blue-eyed children get a whole lot more perks. What if we engineered blue eyes for your child? What if, you know, blondes or, or uh, tall people or, or, or smart people or short people, they get the best perks. So here, here's the menu. Just select what you want your kid to look like and we'll call it up for you. I think being weird, 
is gonna become more important for Christians as life goes on? How do we continue to affirm who we are as created, adopted children of God in the face of a culture that will chase any rabbit and go after any technological improvement just because you can doesn't mean you should. So some of you will say, we're not very good at being weird. I'll say, yes, you are good at being weird, right? You'll say, no, we're not good at being weird. We want to look like everybody else because, you know, there's safety in numbers. I'm going to say, no, you're, you're good at being weird. I mean, I've watched. Uh, some of you have uh, taken intentional weekends where you have fed people for Thanksgiving. That's weird. Some of you have intentionally engaged in walking and exercise for breast cancer. That's weird. It's not that weird, but it's wonderfully weird, right? I mean, there are things that you've done for others that the culture says, that's weird. Being weird is okay. Being willing to say that in this house, these are the rules. That in this house, grace reigns supreme. That in this house, We'll read the Bible, we'll pray to God, and we'll be God's people. And when we go outside these walls, we'll find a way to communicate in such a way that others might feel welcome to come in behind the wall. So I just want to push one more time on this whole, we aren't very good to be weird. I've got a short minute and three quarter uh, video that might make the case. Being weird, it may be the way in which God saves us by being willing to set up our houses, our homes, our families with just a little bit of difference and weird than what the culture asks. And then making sure that our children are almost bilingual so that they can talk on the wall and behind the wall. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. Uh, it's an opportunity to be weird. It's an opportunity to develop that language inside the home and that language outside. Uh, one of the next steps uh, for you might be uh, as simple as heading down to the overhang where we will have large bags of rice and beans and you can help scoop them into uh, manageable gallon-sized bags that'll go to our local food basket and food pantry. Or a deeper step uh, is to join uh, Stephen Ministry um, Stephen Ministry is a lay pastoral care uh, system. It's a, a group of people who have been trained for 50 hours in how to give care by way of prayer, scripture, and listening. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, set of uh, training. I actually did it right as I came out of seminary, and it still to this day are the skills that I rely upon in pastoral care. Uh, it's wonderful stuff. Uh, we'll have a class starting here soon. Uh, I wonder if you could ha have a seat really quick and we'll play a video that will just share a little bit about what Stephen Ministry is. Our, uh, I, I do hope that a next step for you, if, you're, if you've been a guest here, um, is to come down and join the congregation. You can do that during uh, this closing song. Our closing song is This Little Light of Mine. And I just want to say, isn't it wonderful to have Glenda back at the piano bench? All right, David Hill will lead us in this little light of mine. 
Please remember that Harold Johnson's here uh, as our Stephen Ministry representative. If you'd like somebody to pray with you or to arrange care for someone, Harold's ready to do that uh, today. Why don't you grab a hand for our closing uh, dismissal and blessing as we head out to be weird. Lord, we give thanks that you created us with your own hands, breathed the breath of life into us, and sent us out into the world to share with others the grace and joy that we found here. Lord, help us to be different from the outside world. Different not in a way of pride, but different as a way to help others come to find the joy and grace that we found here. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.